Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Chrissy, thank you again so much for coming on. We're really excited to have you and your expertise, all things diabetes. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I love talking about diabetes, spreading the word about diabetes. This is my jam. So for listeners who aren't as familiar, what would you say is the biggest difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? So type 1 diabetes is insulin dependent, meaning their pancreas is no longer making insulin at all. Um, And so they have to give themselves insulin throughout the day, both a short acting insulin, meaning it like works right when they're eating something and like a long acting insulin that works like throughout the day and throughout the night. Um, Type 2 diabetes is um, like a dysfunction in the pancreas. So like the beta cells that make insulin are like not functioning the way we need them to, um, but it's still producing insulin. So a lot of people with type two diabetes don't have to give themselves in insulin until maybe the, it progresses to that point. Um, so basically it's just one is like an autoimmune, the pancreas kind of attacked itself. Um, and the other one is just like a, something that's progressive. And usually type one happens at a really a younger age. They call it like juvenile onset. Like it usually happens you know, in kids that are like six or seven, it can happen later. Um, and type two usually happens in adults, although we are seeing it, um, in like teenagers and kids as well. Yeah. What are some of the factors involved when it comes to the development of type two diabetes? One of the biggest ones is genetics. Um, you know, people really like to make it about like weight and carbohydrates. Like those are the two things that people make it about, but truly that genetic component, I would say 10 times out of 10 has to be there. So, you know, if you have that genetic component, that's a huge factor. I mean, your lifestyle habits are another factor, socioeconomic situations, another one, access to healthcare, another one, um, mental health, stress, uh, grieving. I mean, all of those things can contribute to like large blood sugar fluctuations, but the biggest one would definitely be genetics. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting how so many people love to blame it on weight or like poor diet, right? Mm -hmm. When they're so, it's kind of like health. Like everybody's like, oh, your health is like all in your weight when it's Mm -hmm. not. Um, There's so many factors that can determine your blood sugar. Yeah, absolutely. I also think there's so much, there's actually a lot of fat phobia when it comes to the diagnosis of diabetes. Like I, I feel like I've had conversations with people and they're surprised when someone in a smaller body has diabetes, like, how is that possible? Mm -hmm. Right. Then someone in a larger body will be blamed for their diabetes. Right. Right. I actually had this, this really sweet woman reach out to me yesterday and she's like, you know, I fall within the quote unquote normal BMI. And she got diagnosed with diabetes because she was trying to have a baby and she she was having a hard time. So she like went and got lab work done and it came back that she has diabetes. And I guess like she asked the doctor, well, what do I do? And they were like, "Mm, you're at a normal weight. So, um, just cut carbs and we'll see you in six months. 
And I'm like, that's super bizarre to say. Like, so if you had been in the larger body, would they have told you to lose weight, even though you're at this, I don't like to use the BMI scale, but like, that's what they told her was you had a normal BMI and you know, she still developed diabetes. And so, um, she left the doctor's office feeling like a failure, super frustrated, like her body failed her. Um, it's just, there's so much shame and stigma around that diagnosis more so than a lot of other diagnoses. I, I feel for some reason. And I think maybe it's because people feel like they can prevent it 100%. Like I did this to myself. I, you know, I did something wrong. And, you know, truly if you have that genetic component, it's going to be really hard to beat that. I mean, like we all have a genetic makeup, you know, and it's really hard sometimes to overcome that sometimes impossible. And that's not our fault. Right. Like having that predisposition and it, it also looking at family members and this goes with heart disease as well. Like I work with a lot of cardiovascular patients and if someone has a parent or a grandparent that has heart disease, like there is a large chance that they will have high cholesterol, high blood pressure, unrelated to diet. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, I just, I feel that for some reason, the diabetes diagnosis just is so self blamed. And also, I mean, like healthcare blames people as well. Like, so that's where they're getting it. Um, this, just the shame and stigma around the diagnosis in general. And then people are scared to go get help. They're scared to get their lab work. They're scared to follow up with their doctors, but it's definitely a challenging disease to manage. So having that support from a healthcare team is really important, but I totally see why people are like, hell no. Like, I don't want to go to the doctor. Like they're just going to shame me and tell me to cut out all these food groups. And who wants to be victim of that? You know, as a registered dietitian and diabetes educator, how do you help your clients manage their diabetes? Like what are some things that you focus on typically? Um, we kind of focus on the person as a whole. So nutrition's a huge part. I mean, as a dietitian, I truly believe that. I mean, I think nutrition's really important. Um, but I don't recommend counting carbohydrates. I don't recommend tracking your food unless the client's like really wanting to, then like I'll work with them on that. Um, if it's, it depends on their intention behind wanting to do it. Um, but usually we talk a lot about like what they're already doing. Like, what are you already eating for breakfast? For example, if they're like, I love oatmeal. I eat oatmeal every single day. Well, we know oatmeal is a carbohydrate. It's going to spike your blood sugar if you eat it by itself. Like we know that just because it's a carbohydrate, not because the person is like wrong or doing something wrong. It's just, it's a carbohydrate. All of our blood sugar spike when we eat a carbohydrate. Um, and so instead of telling them like, nope, you can't eat that. You need to go keto, stop eating all the carbohydrates. We talk more about like what they could add to the oatmeal to stabilize their blood sugars, keep them fuller, longer, more satiated, longer. Um, so it's more like what they're already doing and what we can do to stabilize their blood sugars throughout the day versus telling them that they can't eat something. They have to take something away. Um, we also talk a lot about like exercise and the way that they enjoy, um, a lot of them come from very disordered behavior around food and exercise. So like they feel they have to like earn food through exercise. They feel that if their blood sugars are high, that's the time they have to exercise. So we try and do a lot of like mindset work. Um, we talk a lot about stress management, uh, self-compassion when it comes to diabetes. Like if you check your blood sugar and the number's a little elevated, um, like what can you, what kind of inner dialogue can you have that it's not like, oh, you're a failure. Your blood sugar is 200. You suck. I mean, like that's unhelpful. And when you're looking at 
managing this for the long term for the rest of your life. Like that's a really unhelpful way to talk to yourself. So we kind of talk about everything. It's not just nutrition. And a lot of people, I think, come to me thinking like, oh, she's going to give me a meal plan. She's going to tell me how many carbs I can eat, et cetera. And I'm like, oh no, like we're going to do some work because if you want to manage this forever, it can't just be about your nutrition because that's that's not the only thing that affects your blood sugars. Totally. I love that because we, in nutrition and like how diet culture and just fad diets in general, they make us think that like, food is the end all be all. Um, and especially in, you know, a condition that is affected by food, something like diabetes, PCOS, et cetera. Again, it's like this, this, um, feeling of like, Oh, food is medicine and it's going to fix everything. I like what you said about the, like, it's almost a story that we have right going on. So carbs are bad because they raise blood sugar and it's Mm -hmm. like, that's, they just, it's just a fact that they raise blood sugar, right? It doesn't have to add the wrong or bad story behind it. It doesn't make it a bad thing that they raise your blood sugar. Mm -mm. And I always tell people like, there's only three macronutrients. Like how crazy is that? Like we have all this food in the world and there's three and we're telling people they have to eliminate one of those three. That's crazy. Like, um, and I also tell people like, when we're talking about carbohydrates, we're not just talking about soda and candy. We're also talking about oatmeal and fruit and some vegetables. And so you're not just talking about like, you know, these, like the quote unquote junk food, like people think like, Oh, that's what I need. You know, that's the issue, but really carbohydrates are broken down the same way. And they're all going to affect our blood sugars, you know, whether we have diabetes or not. I think it's also unfortunate. You know, I hear often from clients like, Oh, my doctor just told me to cut carbs. And carbs are just this like general statement, just cut carbs without actually getting to like the nuances of carbs, like how different carbs impact your blood sugars or right. how to pair certain foods to help manage your blood sugar. So right. I'm curious if you can share with the audience, like why are carbs important, even for those with type two diabetes, we all need carbs. Why? Um, I mean, a few reasons. So, I mean, carbs are our preferred energy source. That's what we all use to like wake up and function throughout the day. Um, you know, and when we are cutting carbs and then, you know, when we cut something out, that's what we crave. So say we, you know, Jane Doe is like, I'm going to cut out all my carbs. So that could work for a little bit. Her blood sugars might come down, et cetera. But what ends up happening nine times out of 10 is that Jane Doe is going to end up craving those carbs and then end up binging on them and our blood sugars are going to spike way high. And then they, people blame the carbohydrates, but it's the restriction that caused that. If you're eating a consistent amount of carbohydrates throughout the day, not overdoing it, but also not eliminating it, your blood sugars are a lot more stable. I tell people your blood sugars are not on like this roller coaster. That's just like straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down. Like that's what's causing fatigue. It's what's causing cravings. So you know, finding a way to eat carbohydrates throughout the day is really stable for our blood sugar, stable for our hormones, um, and like our mental health. I mean, like there's not one person in the world that I've ever heard is like, I just don't like carbs. Like, I just don't want to eat them. Like nobody says that. So we're cutting it out. Like that's a mental, that's like a mental strain too. Um, and I feel like it then affects people's like social life. You know, they're like, Oh, I can't go out with my friends or my family, or it throws them for a loop. If like, you know, they're going out to pizza. They feel like they have to have a salad. Like, I just feel like it creates so much more stress, which then causes their blood sugars to be high. Um, so it's just like such an ugly, vicious cycle. Yeah. I even noticed, you know, when I 
was disordered in my own eating when I would eat less carbohydrates, like even my sleep was impacted. I would wake up in like the middle of the night, really hungry. I just, my quality of sleep wasn't good. So it really does impact all areas of life, as you said. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I have people who like are cutting carbs and then, you know, they're like, Oh, I'm waking up starving at three in the morning. What do I do? And I'm like, eat. Like mm-hmm. that's what you need to do. You need to eat. Like if you are literally waking up from hunger in the middle of the night, your body right. is telling you something. It's not because you're something's wrong with you. It's because right. your body's like, I'm freaking starving. Like I need yes. to eat. Yeah. hundred percent. I, isn't there something with carbs too, in terms of like balancing cortisol? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Carbs. And I mean, like your overall nutrition intake is really important for like hormones. So cortisol is like a stress hormone and it increases when we are basically putting that stress on our body about cutting a whole food group out. So then cortisol goes up. Um, and also when people are cutting carbs, then we tend research has shown that then their diet's very high in fat. Right. And so people are like, Oh, I've lost all this weight. And then their cholesterol is in like the four hundreds. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, so when you're cutting out a whole macronutrient, you have to fill that with something else. Like rightfully so again, nothing wrong with the person for doing that. But then now they have this whole other issue of like, I'm like, okay, so you've lost weight. And that was like, I guess your goal, but now you have your blood pressure is high and your cholesterol levels are high. And now we have to tackle that. And that would be hard to tackle with like a keto type of diet that most people are on. So you touched upon this earlier, but how, how can we incorporate gentle nutrition for someone with type two diabetes? So it doesn't feel like a diet, but you're still focusing on the nutrition component. And at the same time, again, incorporating more of that gentle self-talk, the gentle nutrition aspect. Yeah. I think a big part of that is, is taking what someone's already doing and adding to it. So people don't feel like, oh my gosh, I have diabetes. Now I need to change everything. I can't eat this. I can't eat my cultural foods. I can't go out with my family, like, or my friends, like I can't drink an alcoholic drink. Like I have to be super rigid. So I think the gentle nutrition part comes in by adding foods to what they're already doing that make them feel better. I mean, like, even if you're just thinking like, if I eat a bowl of cereal, I'm going to be hungry shortly after because cereal is low in protein, low in fiber has nothing really to do with the sugar. Like, even if I tell people like ignore the sugar part and look at the fiber content, the protein content, like it's just low, like it's just not a very satiating food. Even when I eat it, I'm like, man, I could eat an hour after I eat a bowl of cereal. Um, and so instead of cutting that cereal out and making people feel restricted, adding, you know, like berries to it, adding like a hard boiled egg on the side. So I think the gentle nutrition part comes from like adding foods in versus constantly feeling like you have to take foods out. Um, and like honoring the fact that you have diabetes and that you do have to be mindful. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I can't do intuitive eating because I have diabetes. And I think it's a little bit more challenging for someone who has diabetes versus someone who doesn't. Of course, I, I do feel that way, but the gentle nutrition part is very important for someone who, I mean, it's important for everybody, but for someone who has diabetes, that's the part that I don't think that people understand. Like if you have diabetes, the gentle nutrition part is taking care of yourself. It is eating foods that are, have a lot of color that are full of fiber. Like 
that are all really good for your blood sugars as well. So you're still honoring the diabetes part, but you're also not so fixated on carbohydrates and weight loss that you can't even like move forward. People get so caught up with the weight loss part. And I'm like, you're neglecting everything else. Like you're so, so this one number is dictating everything. And I've seen people lose weight and their blood sugars don't get better. And I've seen people maintain their weight and their blood sugars do great. So like weight really is not like a end all be all at all. Right. Yeah. I've had people in my groups before too, that have been, you know, they had a borderline high A1C and they were binging a lot and they, you know, their blood sugars were showing it. Um, and most of the time they were gaining weight and they're, and still after healing their relationship with food, their blood sugars were improved, which is crazy. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny how you mentioned the cereal. Cause I have been loving having cereal for a snack, but I'm like, it just does not feel good when I eat. And then I'm like, I have to eat again because I'm like so hungry still. So I've been, I don't know if you've ever had, it's like this vanilla almond cereal from Trader Joe's and it's so good. And I add, I've been adding cashews, which like goes perfect with it. And it is so freaking good. So I get like some fat, some protein, some fiber from those cashews and it's just like the perfect combination i feel like i'm eating like a vanilla cashew cookie so um and that would be like a really good example like so say you had diabetes and you were like i love this cereal but i'm i'm not feeling satiated by it i'm feeling like i need to eat shortly after that's very normal but i think when someone has diabetes they think something's like wrong with them but it's not like i don't have diabetes but if i were like i said if i eat a bowl of cereal i'm hungry shortly after same Uh So the gentle nutrition part comes in by adding like the cashews to it. That's going to keep you fuller longer. You're adding fat and protein. So your blood sugars aren't going to spike as much. So that would be how, what I would do with my clients is like, we would work that in like, okay, you're doing this. We know that that's going to spike your blood sugar. So what can we add to it? And most people are really excited when they can add food. Like, I'm sure you both see that with your clients. Like when I'm like, no, like you don't need to take anything away. What can we add to it? I had a client in my group tell me, you are the first dietitian or medical professional that's ever told me like add something to your diet versus take it away. And I was like, wow, that says so much like that just drives me nuts. But, and her blood sugars are so much better. She's like, I'm eating more. I have more energy. My blood sugars are better and I'm eating significantly more. I think that we are just all in this, like, obviously this diet culture that tells us like the less we eat, the better the less we eat, the better for our weight, the less we eat, the better for our blood sugars, the less we eat, the better for whatever. And truly the less we eat does not mean our blood sugars are going to be stable. That is not what it means. Sometimes it can mean the exact opposite. And it's, it's just like not, I mean, if someone like actually wants to lose weight, like eating less is is not going to get you there either. I mean, you know, so it's just interesting again, like the eat less, move more and where that came from. I would love to know because definitely not based on any research that I know. No, no. And I mean, like, you know, telling people to eat less and move more is just like, it's just lazy. Like I, I have, I have people DMing me every single day, every day telling me that I was just diagnosed with diabetes or Mm. just diagnosed with pre-diabetes. And all my doctor told me was to eat less and move more. And I'm just like, I could like throw my phone against the wall. I'm just like, 
But how is that helpful for someone right. with this huge diagnosis? That's really scary. Like mm-hmm. most people tell me like, oh, I feel like I was given a death sentence. And like that breaks my heart because that's maybe they saw like a grandparent or, you know, have an amputation or something along those lines. And so they're genuinely scared. And then they're sitting in the doctor's office and they, they're told to eat less and move more. Like, yeah, <laughs> like this person is genuinely scared. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So you talked about this quite a few times um, already, but how can someone reframe some of that negative self-talk and shame that one can experience with a diagnosis such as diabetes? Um, I think it really depends on the individual person. Like, I think when someone's first diagnosed, their first like initial thought from what I've heard from clients is that I did this to myself. I could have done this and I didn't, um, I could have X, Y, Z. Um, so I always tell people that a good reframe would be, you know, like this could have happened regardless of what I did because of my genetic composition. Like that's a pretty simple reframe that, and it's very true. Like that's not, that's not a false thing to say. Um, and then as far as like blood sugars go, I always try and tell people like, don't use like good or bad blood sugars. Like, oh, I checked my blood sugar and it was bad. Say it's out of target. I checked my blood sugar today and it was out of target. Um, (laughs) I have a Facebook group of people who like do my paid programs. And one of the girls was like, um, she's like, I checked my blood sugar today and it was 103. It was probably a fluke, but I'm excited about it. And I responded and I was like, reframe this, please. (laughs) And she like commented and she's like, I'm doing well by my body and my blood sugars are proving it. And I was like, perfect. Like they know that like I, you know, if you're doing the work, your blood sugars are going to reflect it. So instead of just thinking like, oh, I got a good blood sugar, but it's going to go back up. Like it's, you know, I'm going to end up failing anyways. Mm -hmm. We really have to like zone that in and reframe it because you're going to live with this forever. So we have to find a way to live with it in a healthier way. Yeah. So I, I love that reframe of, um, you know, my blood sugars are bad. It's like out of range. Cause yeah. even that makes such a difference in the shame spiral that can occur when one thinks that what they're doing is bad or yeah. that they, they therefore are bad. So I, I think that's a really great reframe. It's just like, you know, calling food bad or good. Yeah. And I know both of you post a lot about that. And, um, you know, it's like, it's like when you're saying that your blood sugars are good or bad, just like when you do it with food, you're telling yourself that you're like, Oh, I was bad. Or if I have a client that says that, Oh, I was really bad last night. I had pizza and this morning, my blood sugars were high. I'm like, okay, we can reframe that whole sentence. Like you weren't bad because you had pizza. What can you do differently with that pizza? That's going to support your blood sugars better the next morning. And then they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And then we kind of talk about like, having like a large salad right before, then have some pizza, you know, and then go on like a 10 minute walk, like very, very simple things that are going to affect the blood sugar tremendously, but they it doesn't feel like, Oh, I can't have pizza again. Cause that all or nothing thinking it kills everybody every time. Like it's, never- and it's not sustainable. Like that no. doesn't work. That might work for what a few days, a few weeks, but if this is a lifelong diagnosis, like you, you have to learn to live with it in a way that's feels good for you too. Yeah. Yeah. And I try and tell people that all the time, like this is forever, you know, um, that's another thing is like people, you know, diabetes can be reversed and it can't like, that's not true. You're going to be living with this forever and it could progressively get, you know, 
it could progress. Like, you know, diabetes is a progressive disease, you know, um, especially if the blood sugar management is not optimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, learning to talk to yourself, especially if say if someone's diagnosed when they're 35 or 40, they're going to be living with it for decades, you know? And so it's really important to just like with food, it's important to have a healthy relationship with food. It's important to have a healthy relationship with your blood sugars, because it's just something you're going to be faced with the rest of your life. Yes. Well, this was honestly so informative and so helpful. And, um, I actually, I, one more question, how can someone support a loved one who either was recently diagnosed with type two, or they're just living with type two? How can someone be that supportive person? That's such a good question. Um, I have a few answers. One, don't tell them, oh, should you be eating that? (laughs) You know, um, I think that if you, you know, so if I have a loved one with type two diabetes, I think it would, to support them would be to educate myself on type two diabetes. Um, you know, offering to go with them to their doctor's appointments, dietitian appointments. You know, I run like group programs and sometimes I have like the wife is, um, is the one that has diabetes. And then like the husband will sit in. I think those are way better, like to educate yourself versus should you be eating that? I don't think you should be eating that cake. Should you be doing that? Mm -hmm. I think that like quickly our loved ones, unfortunately can turn into like a food police and it's all out of like love. Like, I don't think that people do it maliciously, but it comes off maliciously. And, um, you know, just like, I don't think anyone should comment on what anybody eats, but when you have diabetes and like, you know, everyone knows it and you like go to grab a piece of cake at a birthday and your loved ones are saying those things, I think it's really important that our support system isn't saying those things. And instead they're educating themselves and learning and asking you like, what do you need from me to support you through this? You know, um, do you want me to go to therapy with you? Do you want me to, help you cook? Do you want, you know, what, what do you need? Because that person's already dealing with so much shame and guilt that that extra shame and guilt from like a loved one is detrimental. Yes. I love the question of like, what do you need from me? Because that's not assuming, oh, they want me to police their food or they want me to tell them, you know, to go to their dietitian if they're not going or whatever it is, because I feel like that's the best way to really be supportive because you can't read people's minds. And, um, a lot of times, like you said, like commenting on food choices and everything is just very detrimental. So where can everybody find you? So, um, I am mainly just on Instagram, um, at type two diabetes period nutritionist. Um, I mean, people can reach out to me on there. They can email me. Um, and I have a website that's going to be launching soon too. So it'd be really nice for people to be able to contact me that way as well. And how can people work with you? So through Instagram as well. Um, I have a bio. I see people one-to-one. Um, I usually save that for people who like are on insulin, have, you know, really, um, everyone's diabetes is different. Some people are on just like more oral medication. Some people are on a lot of insulin. So my one-to-ones are usually a little bit more intensive, like things that they really need to be like stringent with. Um, I also have a group program that launches four times a year. And then I just released an online course that's completely self-paced. Um, and all of those options come with like a, like Facebook access. So, it's like a private group that they'll have lifetime access to. So they get a lot of support through that from me, but also other women who are dealing with the same thing. And that seems to have, I'm sure you guys see this in your groups. Like it, 
it seems to really help um, my clients when they are able to like post on there and say, I'm having a really hard day. Like my blood sugars were elevated, blah, 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 and get like that instant feedback and support. So I think that's been people's favorite part of joining any of the groups. So great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. This has been so helpful. And I know that people are going to find this episode extremely valuable. So I know we might need to do a part two. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.